The contents of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Borum. Today we're looking at the biotech company Botanix, which is developing cannabis-based treatments for a number of uh, skin conditions. Uh, these include acne, or acne vulgaris, to give it its uh, correct name, uh, which has kind of been getting in the way of teenagers' love lives uh, since about 3400 BC. That was the, uh, the first documented case. Uh, now, Botanix also has current or, or planned programs for atopic dermatitis, psoriasis, and rosacea. Uh, and it's also got an antimicrobial program. Now, despite coronavirus-related interruptions, the company's in the middle of a busy few months. And I've got uh, the company's founder and executive director, Matt Callahan, uh, to, uh, tell me, uh, to tell me why. So uh, uh, thanks for joining me, Matt. Thanks, Tim. Great to be on. Terrific. Um, now, now, Matt, just firstly, the, um, the company sits in, in the uh, cannabis corner of the uh, ASX, if, if, if I can call it that. Um, but, but you've said the company shouldn't be lumped in with the other uh, so-called uh, dope stocks. Um, now, 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 why is that? Yeah, great question. So we actually are, are a pharmaceutical company. You know, we happen to be using a chemical that uh, was originally identified in the cannabis plant, but we use a fully synthetic version of that chemical. It's mostly focused around CBD. So we actually don't extract anything from the plant. Uh, we really have nothing to do with the plant. We manufacture this this drug, this molecule from the ground up. And so that allows us to, A, have a very pure product, but also be able to scale its manufacture pretty efficiently and also uh, to develop new versions of uh, this particular class of synthetic cannabinoids for lots of different applications. Yeah, okay. So, so you're not you're, you're not growing the cannabis. You're not transporting it, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, okay. as, as you say, it's uh, it, it's synthetic. Um, now, now, the magic uh, is in the, the the CBD or the cannabinoids, isn't it? Uh, in in that they're um, uh, they've got properties uh, uh, which are good for uh, inflammation and uh, bacterial infections. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, historically. There's been a lot of interest in the natural form of the product uh, with its anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, within the last year or so, uh, CBD as a molecule has been approved for the treatment of certain types of epilepsy, which is kind of a bit outside that kind of traditional understanding. And what we've been doing over the last uh, six to 12 months is really diving into its antibiotic or, or antibacterial properties as well, when we're finding some pretty interesting stuff there as well. Yeah, okay, okay, great. Now, just to take a step back a bit, um, you're based in Philadelphia, so, so you must be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> that, 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 that's right, is it not? It, it is. So uh, just like the film, uh, I am based in Philadelphia. I've been here for almost 10 years. I uh, moved across uh, for two years back in the uh, start of 2011 when we sold uh, a company called Isudica, which 
we were going to list on the ASX and ended up transacting it to some private equity guys here. Yeah, okay. So, so what, why did you found the, uh, the company in, in the first place? Yeah, so we were really intrigued with um, some of the emerging data that uh, GW Pharma uh, were generating uh, back in 2016 around the, the properties of, of CBD. And we kind of looked at this molecule and it hadn't been well studied uh, in skin particularly. Uh, we found some scientific literature seeming to indicate that uh, the molecule had anti-inflammatory, potentially immune modulation and, and also antibacterial properties and all of those things are generally useful in a range of different skin diseases. So unfortunately in dermatology, uh, there's not many animal models that you can use before going into humans. There's, you know, rabbits don't get acne and, and mice don't get acne. So really our choice was to do some preclinical and some toxin safety work and then kind of launch straight into humans to see if it worked. So does any other animal get acne or, or, or psoriasis? Or? No. So there are some um, mice models for things like dermatitis. Um, but unfortunately, the only uh, animal uh, that gets acne uh, are humans. So it's, uh, it's a good thing and a bad thing for us. Uh, it enabled us to move quickly into the clinic and, and generate some good initial data. Great. Now, speaking of the clinic, can you uh, summarise the, the clinical program, uh, especially in terms of wh where you're the most advanced? Sure. So our most advanced program is, is in acne. So we've completed uh, phase two studies in both acne and, and dermatitis. Uh, and leading up to those studies, we also completed some phase 1B, so patient studies in each of acne, uh, dermatitis and psoriasis uh, successfully. So our, our most mature program at the moment is in acne. Uh, we recently completed uh, an end of phase 2 meeting with the FDA, uh, which gave us some guidance around the design of the phase 3 program and, and also was uh, successful in, in getting some waivers uh, some releases from some studies that you'd normally have to do before phase three. So a very good outcome. Yeah, okay. Now, that's really interesting because um, when uh, I think last uh, last October, your, your shares did halve or, or, or the more than halved after the, mm -hmm. the phase two results, which I think was from moderate to, to severe acne. Um, because it didn't actually meet the primary endpoints, but so so I'm I'm just wondering what what sort of went on there. Um, I think as a company you were more optimistic about the results than the, uh, the than the market was. Yeah, so we had a very successful phase one B study, which kind of gave us the confidence to go into that much larger uh, phase two acne study that we ran across uh, the US and Australia in about thirty four thirty five sites. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, uh, we had great success with the secondary endpoints, but we, we narrowly missed our primary endpoint uh, around the reduction in inflammatory lesions. And upon kind of further review and, and some analysis, uh, there was a, a pretty big difference between the data that we generated uh, in Australia and the data that we generated in the US. Um, and so the Australian data was, was very positive. The US data uh, was kind of middling, I'll call it that. And so as a result, we missed that primary endpoint. And so obviously being a biotech in Australia, uh, any bad news is, is overpunished and good news is not necessarily rewarded, but uh, that's the market that we're in and, and uh, we're kind of moving on from there. Yeah, okay. So, so was there an issue with the, uh, you know, the cohort of, uh, of patients used in the US or the, the, uh, the quality of the product? I'm, I'm just wondering what, what caused the variation. 
Yeah, so our analysis points to a difference in the in the manufacturing of the product between Australia and the US that uh, wasn't able to be identified at the time as we were doing the study. And so you know, one of the challenges you have working with cannabinoids generally, whether that's CBD or THC or, or other cannabinoids, is that they remain controlled substances. And so the DEA in the US uh, is the regulating body in addition to FDA, which makes uh, the transport of these materials really challenging, uh, the manufacture of these uh, materials really challenging. And ultimately, we had to split manufacturing between the two countries. And now that uh, we've been able to move on from that with uh, some rulings from DEA around the very pure product that we're now using, we don't expect to have that problem into the future, thankfully. Yeah, okay, okay. But so, so the bottom line with the ACNE program is that uh, you're confident enough of going to the FDA now without having to carry out any further major clinical programs. Yeah, so the, the mention I made before of the end of phase two meeting that we recently completed was an opportunity for us to show the phase two data that we generated to the FDA to get their feedback on it uh, and to kind of ask the straight out question, look, is there anything here that would prevent us from moving on to phase three? Uh, and the answer from FDA was no. And as I mentioned, we also got some releases from some other studies you would generally do before doing phase three. So for us, it's really a question of, of when we can do that study and, and how that study will be designed. And, and they're the issues that we're working through at the moment. Obviously, you know, a little bit complicated with, uh, with COVID, with international and in some cases state borders uh, being shut. So, uh, you know, the timing of, of that study, ultimately, uh, we need to review as we kind of get through the back end of this year. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about COVID and, and the interruptions. So it's probably a good uh, juncture to, uh, to to ask you now how, how it's affected the company. Um, from from the looks of it, you, you've sort of pivoted as, uh, which is the, uh, the the trendy term at the moment, um, to, uh, to focus more on your uh, microbial program for the time being. Yeah, so in the, obviously the shutdown that happened in the US um, between kind of February and, and May, June on the East Coast, um, it really didn't affect our operations at all. We were able to continue with the preparation for our antimicrobial studies as planned. Uh, we had hoped to kick off the actual study uh, for our first antimicrobial uh, program in the March timetable, uh, but with WA and the rest of Australia shut down, uh, that wasn't possible. So. Uh, we are hopeful that we'll get that first antimicrobial study kicked off uh, within the next, uh, you know, probably the, the Q3 timetable, calendar Q3 timetable, so between, you know, July, August, uh, and that way uh, we can kind of get back into the clinic, restricting the study really to, to Western Australia so we don't have to cross uh, any state boundaries. Of course, because you're based in Perth, your, your head office is mm -hmm. Perth in that uh, WA bubble, um, but, but a lot of your activities are in, in the US uh, where you're based in Philadelphia. Is that, uh, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we've run studies across Australia. Uh, we've run studies in the US and Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so for our antimicrobial study, we've managed to redesign that uh, and are able to recruit that entirely within Western Australia. Our rosacea study uh, that we had also hoped to kick off uh, in kind of the April-May timetable that will require us to have a number of more sites across Australia and New Zealand. And so until we get some clarity on, on opening borders with the rest of the country and, and then ultimately with New Zealand, 
uh, we're going to have to uh, actually put that study uh, on hold until we have that uh, that clarity in terms of the timing of opening of those borders. Right. Okay. Okay. And, and with the microbials, that that program is aimed specifically at post-surgical infections. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. That's that's the first application. So sure. we've kind of known um, in the literature that you know cannabinoids can be antimicrobial um, against things like staph and potentially. Um, methicillin-resistant staph or golden staph. Uh, what we've been able to, to establish now is that it's actually a really powerful antibiotic that, that doesn't encourage resistance uh, in bacteria. And the first application we're looking at is for those uh, post-surgical infections, uh, which is a nasal decolonization model. So essentially sticking the, the product in your nose to kill the bacteria because about 80% of the infections you get post-surgical come from you. They don't come from the room or, or the surgical instrument. They actually come out of your nose. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, and and in terms in terms in 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 terms of the uh, antimicrobial effect uh, across the board, uh, you you mentioned golden staff is sort of uh, not much of a of a uh, preventative out there. But in terms of uh, in, ter- in in terms of the skin conditions. Uh, what what's sort of basically uh, wrong with the current treatments, which which I guess are antibiotic based remedies? Yeah, so there's this really the biggest challenge we have at the moment is we haven't had uh, pretty much any new classes of antibiotics invented and approved in the last twenty years, and so the bacteria that are out there, including uh, Golden Staph or MRSA, have resistance to the products that are used. So take a product like Mupirocin or Bactroban. Uh, in some uh, hospitals, there's about a 95% resistance rate uh, to that particular drug. So it kind of doesn't give you any other options. Uh, if the bacteria are resistant to what you're giving them, you're not going to kill the, the bug and you're going to have the infection in the skin and ultimately in the in the deeper tissues as well. Yeah, okay, okay, all right. And so um, you've got acne as your most advanced program uh what, what would what would sort of be, be the next most advanced matt would, would, would that be rosacea yeah so rosacea is kind of coming along behind it um the study that we'll be, be doing is a phase two study uh it's going to be done uh, across australia and new zealand as, as we mentioned before and you know rosacea is a little bit similar to acne in terms of its pathology you have kind of this redness of the skin and these raised kind of pimple like structures in the skin uh and hopefully you know, we have the same, you know, good benefit that we had in our phase 1B acne studies where we saw great reduction in inflammation and also an effect on the underlying bacteria, in this case, you know, the mite uh, that infests uh, the rosacea lesion. So that's kind of the next one up for us, you know, quickly followed in terms of timing, I guess, um, by the, the 1801 antibacterial study, which will uh, kind of lead that one off. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so, and so, so in terms of addressable markets, uh, what what are we looking at? What would be the uh, the uh, biggest market? Yeah. I mean, acne remains a massive market. Um, you know, pretty much all of us had acne as we went through our teenage years, and we're seeing a lot more acne in in our twenties and thirties. And uh, unfortunately, women uh, who apply makeup, you know, continue to carry it through the thirties and forties. So, uh, the market for you know, prescription acne products, so not things you buy at the chemist, remains about uh, $4.7, $4.8 billion a year. Uh, and most of those products are generic. So they've been around for a long period of time. 
they're very cheap, um, which gives you some idea of the usage. You know, 50 million people in, in the US use an acne problem each year. So that's a really big market, I think, probably closely followed uh, by, you know, some of the applications that we have in rosacea uh, and then, you know, the antimicrobial markets because there's so many different applications. You know, each one of those individually is, uh, is worth a substantial amount of money. Yeah, okay. And you mentioned the size of the prescription market, uh, which is vast. Um, now, you're specifically focusing on prescriptions, aren't you? So you're not tempted by the over-the-counter market, which is uh, also also big and, and has uh, lower uh, barriers to entry. That's right. So there's a couple of reasons we're not. One, of course, is that we're dealing with moderate to severe disease. So we fully expect people to kind of walk into the chemist and and buy some salicylic acid and put it on their acne, you know, when it's mild. Uh, but obviously, as it progresses, they'll go to a physician or a dermatologist to get something that that works better um, and potentially has a different safety profile than those OTC products. And at the end of the day, you know, particularly in the US context, which is our you know primary market, you know, getting three to five hundred dollars a month for a prescription product is is a lot better than twenty or thirty bucks a month. Uh, people buying stuff from the chemist. Yes, it's a much better margin, isn't it? it certainly is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and in terms of your financials, you raised about forty million dollars last year. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just wondering. Yeah, I'm just I'm just wondering uh, how these funds are, are sort of going to be earmarked over the next uh, few months. Yeah, so we're fortunately in a fantastic cash position, having raised that capital, and you know we're very grateful, of course, for the the R and D tax uh, opportunity that we have in Australia, where we can recover a lot of our clinical study and and development cost investment. So, uh, at the end of uh, Q calendar Q two of twenty twenty, uh, the the half year will end up with probably about twenty five million bucks in the bank, um, expecting another five or so back from the R&D tax in, in Q3, calendar Q3 of 2020. So about $30 million in total we'll have uh, in Q3. Um, fortunately, the two studies we're doing at the moment in antimicrobial and rosacea uh, are relatively cheap, uh, a few million bucks to complete each of those studies together. Uh, and so the, uh, the cash position will be uh, very solid going into Q4 uh, and into the, the new year. So for us, it's really a question of, of best allocation of that cash and resources. Yeah, okay. So if there's a, uh, a big ticket item, I presume it would be the phase uh, three uh, acne trial. That's right, yeah. So that's, that's going to be the biggest investment that the company probably ever makes um, because of the, the size of that study and the, and the cost of that study eventually. So we're still putting our arms around what that is, uh, both in terms of numbers and, and design. And, and so that will be something that uh, we can work through uh, in the next few months when we can't actually do a study because of the, the restrictions, obviously. Yes, and uh, you can only wait, can't you? There's not much you can do about it. Sadly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, and in terms of the um, – in, in terms of management, um, you um, – uh, you you left the board, um, but but but, but uh, returned recently and um, as uh, uh, executive director. So uh, it it sounds like it is a case of sort of founder syndrome in uh, in in reverse. <laughs> yeah, I'd love it if it was, but um, yeah. So I had a short break from the board uh, uh, late last year. Um, 
we were able to attract to the board uh, early last year uh, our new chairman uh, and president, Vince Polito, who brings about 35 years of, of specific dermatology experience uh, to the board with some successes in, in selling uh, a company for about $5 billion with a dermatitis product, so pretty good track record. Uh, and we're able to kind of add to the board, uh, bringing Michael Thurn up onto the board from a COO role. And so we have kind of slimmed down off the back of uh, our hiccup uh, with the dermatitis study at the start of the year um, and kind of reduced our cost uh, accordingly. But, uh, you know, these things are driven by data and they're driven by success. And so uh, hopefully the current studies that we're working on deliver that and we can kind of get running again. Yeah, Okay. Uh, your, your response just then actually did remind me that I, I, I meant to mention the dermatitis study, which you described as a as a hiccup. Um, perhaps you could explain in your own words what what sort of went down there. Sure, sure. So um, uh, a hiccup's probably an understatement, to be fair. Um, so we ran the, the phase two study, which which read out in Q one this year, um, and with uh, the design of the study and the drug. Uh, load that we were using, we just didn't see a, uh, a real differentiation uh, against placebo uh, on uh, atopic dermatitis, which, as you're probably aware, it has a, an immune response component to it, uh, where the skin effectively is, is fighting itself. Uh, and so, unfortunately, that study didn't reach its primary endpoint. Uh, and our corporate decision is to, to put that uh, on the shelf as a result uh, and focus on uh, on acne. Uh, rosacea and uh, the antimicrobial programs that we've talked about. Okay, so with the acne program, you're saying okay, it didn't meet its endpoints, but there were extenuating circumstances, uh, if you like. Um, but with the dermatitis program, it sounds like it was a little bit more straightforward. That um, I, I guess, in layman's terms, it, it, it didn't work. It, it was no better than uh, than placebo. That's right. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. So is the dermatitis program therefore kind of dead and buried or just having a bit of a rest? Yeah, I, I, I characterise it as on the shelf having a rest. So <laughs> we're not investing any more money in it at the moment. Um, obviously with, with dermatology, because we're using uh, the same drug in a bunch of different indications, the data that we generate from each of these trials is additive in our understanding of what the drug does. So... You know, there's always a chance that from our rosacea studies, we, we kind of get some insights into mechanism that give us some confidence to return to dermatitis. But at the moment, uh, we're not making any further investments in it. Okay, great. All right. So, so Matt, just to wind up, can you summarise what investors should look out for over the next few weeks or few months? Yeah. So uh, the second half of this year is going to be really busy for us. Uh, we kick off uh, the 1801 study, which is the post-surgical infection study. It's a really quick study. So our plan is to have it fully recruited by the start of, of Q4 and have data from that study uh, within Q4 as well. So really quick turnaround. Uh, with a bit of luck and, and some COVID willing, we should be able to kick off the rosacea study as well. Um, that rosacea study uh, will be run across Australia and New Zealand, as we mentioned before. And uh, we'll be treating uh, a bunch of patients in that phase two once we can get that underway. Kind of while that's happening, uh, we do have another number of other uh, applications for the antimicrobial product uh, that we'll be bringing through. Uh, we do have some publications that are being prepared at the moment 
and we do have a number of other kind of uh, non-dilutive funding options that are available to us in that antimicrobial space that we'll also be pursuing. So uh, it'll be pretty busy, uh, very news-driven. We're looking to, to do a bit of a, a relaunch and rebrand uh, of our uh, website and communications uh, in start of Q3 as well. Uh, so hopefully we can uh, engage the investor community and deliver some good data and get back to where we were before. Okay, great. All right. Well, it sounds like uh, you've got money in the bank and some decent uh, news flow, so investors should uh, stay tuned. Matt, uh, great to talk and look forward to uh, talking again in future. Thanks, Tim, and uh, thanks for the opportunity.